In this very special episode of The Metabolomist, we went on the road and asked many of you to share your favorite metabolite with the rest of the community. The interviews in this episode were all recorded at the annual meeting of the Metabolomic Society that took place in Valencia, Spain in June of 2022. This meeting was a special one, as it marked the return of MedSoc as an in-person meeting. And I took this opportunity to meet as many of you as possible to introduce the podcast and to collect your impressions. If you follow me on LinkedIn, you know that I was frantically looking for volunteers to share their favorite metabolite on the air. I already published a few of these interviews on my account, and this episode combines the contributions of all the lovely people who accepted to chat with me about their love of metabolites. I want to thank each and every one of the brave people who spoke with me for this episode. Thanks to Craig, Justin, Xi, Parisa, Pierre-Hugues, Jennifer, Christophe, Iman, Sarah, Anna, Sophia, Michal, Jurek, and Lime for taking the time to chat with me during this intense week. It takes some courage to expose your passion about your work in the way that they did, but this is something we all get used to as scientists. We had an amazing time at the conference, and I hope that we can repeat this experience soon at the next in-person meeting. In the meantime, I hope that you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed creating it. The Metabolomist is the podcast where scientists connect to explore the unspoken issues in metabolomics research. I am your host, Alice Limonciel, and together we will examine how metabolomic data interpretation is done. I will discuss with other metabolomists how they do this work, how they plan, execute, but also communicate metabolomics. My name is Craig Wheelock, and I work at the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, Sweden, and then part-time at Gunma University in Japan. Very well. And so will you share with us your favorite metabolite and why it's your favorite metabolite? Perfect. It's hard to pick one. So my favorite class of molecules I work on are the oxylipins, these oxidized products of polyunsaturated fatty acids, and particularly the octadecanoids, which are the C18 subclass of oxylipins. And if I had to pick one specific molecule within that class, it would be something called a 1213-dihome. This is a vicinal diol product of linoleic acid. It's produced by oxidation by cytochrome P450 to the epoxides, which are then cleaved by the soluble epoxide hydrolase to the corresponding vicinal diols. This compound has been around for a while. It was first reported by Japanese group uh, Ozawa and colleagues in the 80s to be produced in response to acute respiratory distress syndrome, or ARDS. So they looked at ARDS patients. They would see you know, um, massive pulmonary edema occurring with ARDS, and they see increased levels of these compounds. And they did a number of animal studies where if you injected the precursor, the epoxide, into rats, within 10 minutes you see this massive pulmonary edema in these rats. So the compound back then was called leukotoxin, was the epoxide, and then leukotoxin diol. Because it was toxic to leukocytes. There's, since it's linoleic acid, there's two different isomers of this. There's the 910 and the 1213. The 1213 is my particular favorite. That one's called isoleukotoxin or isoleukotoxin diol. When I started my PhD, the year after I started, my major professor, Bruce Hammack, he published a paper in Nature Medicine 
they came out and looked at the bioactivation of linoleic acid epoxides, the, these diols, and they found that one, it was increased again in ARDS patients, and two, is that they could blate the toxicity by using an inhibitor of the soluble epoxide hydrolase to prevent the epoxide to diol conversion. So that's how they knew that the epoxide was a, quote, protoxin, and that it was actually the diol that was causing the toxicity, which Ozawa and colleagues didn't know. And so my old boss, he spent decades studying this enzyme, and now it's nothing really happened since the 1997 paper, and then flash forward uh, to quite recently, and um, there's been a string of papers come out at the 1213 Dihome. Look in PubMed, there's a number of papers in you know, Nature Medicine looking at this, that it's important in brown fat activation, it's uh, development of immune tolerance in asthmatics, cardiovascular disease, a whole range of things that's showing that actually this is a very potent bioactive lipid. Yeah, that's a lot of very interesting field, so I guess this is will get a lot of people interested who are listening. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hi, my name is Lime Duata Zizmar, however I prefer to be Lime like the fruit, and I'm working in the University Hospital Tübingen in, near Stuttgart in Germany. And I'm doing preclinical and clinical metabolomics research by NMR spectroscopy. Thank you. So what is your favorite metabolite and why? Lately, my favorite metabolite has been pyruvate because it's like me, it's a multitasker. It's involved in more than 50 different sub-metabolic pathways, most popular being the TCA cycle, glycolysis, phosphate, pentose phosphate pathway. It's in the center of everything and I think it's underappreciated. Thanks. And do you study it in specific contexts in your research? I get to study it quite a bit because uh, some of the research that I'm involved, it's really around the energy metabolism and pyruvate has become really the central uh, hallmark and gatekeeper for a lot of pathways that I get to investigate and I think it's really exciting. Thanks a lot and good luck. Thanks a lot. My name is Michal Kaczmarek. I currently work in Tel Aviv in the Blavatnik Center for Drug Discovery. I'm working in the Metabolite Medicine Division, where I take care of the analytical chemistry and all the metabolomics, both targeted and targeted. Perfect. And so now, what is your favorite metabolite and why, please? So this is a good question. Definitely the favorite needs to be defined. For me, the favorite will be with my favorite background story. So here I would choose the one that actually it's interpretation of physiological levels affected lives of many people and this brings me all the way back to my days where I was working in the forensic toxicology space and this metabolite is uh, gamma hydroxybutyric acid. It's usually abbreviated as GHB. It's a short chain fatty acid. It's usually denoted as a neurotransmitter, neuro modulator you can find it in brain and it's all the like it's all the produced by GABA it's gamma amino butyric acid and it was also known as anesthetic drug it was synthesized in 1960s but it wasn't really long in use because it had a side effects like pain or delirium so later on it was illegally misused for drug facilitated crimes because the anesthetic effect was really strong and uh, also because people who are intoxicated with GHB often suffer from amnesia they uh, it was used by criminals for sexual assault cases and uh, because this is the compound that is both 
endogenous and can be exogenous, as you can probably see the interpretation of this could be quite challenging. And in addition to that, the metabolism of GHB, the metabolism is very rapid. So the maximum concentration is usually achieved within 30 to 90 minutes after the oral intake. And you can detect it in blood usually within six hours. That was the rule of a thumb and in urine within 12 hours. On top of that, all the forensic laboratories had to themselves set a cutoff value and above the cutoff value, the level of the GHB was treated as exogenous. This was quite challenging part to do because different people, depending on their age, the physical activity, the gender, they had different physiological level, even without an exposure to GHB. Uh, and uh, after more research was done, another layer of complexity appeared, which is uh, post-mortem redistribution and in vitro production. So depending on the storage conditions, on the temperature, on the type of additives, the GHB could basically be produced within the already collected sample. And this caused a lot of troubles and let's say court interpretation. So the expert opinions from a couple of years back in the days are not valid anymore today, which is a fascinating story. So currently what people are doing, they're uh, researching the phase 2 metabolites of GHB to maybe find a more reliable biomarker of the external use of GHB. And uh, somehow this, this GHB is always circling back to me, so even when I was doing research outside of the forensic toxicology space, it was being uh, said to be a signaling molecules in the living organism, uh, also in plants, in animals, in bacteria, and even in my current project at the Blavatnik Center for Drug Discovery, we are trying to establish the human metabolome database, and of course we included GHB there, among another like thousand other compounds there, so... It's quite a fascinating metabolite for me personally. Thank you very much. You really like give flesh to the story of the metabolite. It really makes it interesting. And I think it's particularly interesting when you have metabolites that are both endogenous and taken exogenously, even if it's against your will. Thank you very much. Hi, my name is Sara Abdel Qadir. I'm currently working at Whale Coronel Medicine in Qatar, and I'm also pursuing my PhD with Paris Saclay University in France. And the topic of my PhD is uh, dysregulated uh, metabolism of branching amino acids uh, in different cancer cells. Thank you. So, what is your favorite metabolite and why? So, of course, my favorite metabolite is part of the branch-chain amino acid pathway, and it's the branch-chain alpha-keto acids, which are products of uh, the catabolism of the branch-chain amino acids. And it's also one of my favorite metabolites because uh, these metabolites are expressed differently in different cancer cells. And also the expression of the enzymes that are responsible for these metabolites are also expressed different, differently in different cancer types. So if we try to target these enzymes, we it could be one of the treatment strategies for different cancer cell lines, especially lung cancer cell lines. You work especially on lung, lung cancer? We work on lung cancer and breast cancer. Is there any other aspect that you, that you find interesting about branched-chain amino acid in general? In general, the enzymes on the branched-chain amino acid catabolic pathway are expressed differently in different cancer cell lines. So we are looking at other enzymes on the catabolic pathway and uh, we're seeing 
by inhibiting some of these enzymes it has an effect on these uh, cancer cells or not. So we actually found that uh, the uh, high metastatic potential cell lines enhanced uh, branching amino acid catabolism as compared to low metastatic potential cell lines. Okay, so this has a lot of promise for treatments, I guess. Hopefully. <laughs> this is what we're work working towards. So. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm Jerzy Adamski, I'm Professor Emeritus at Helmholtz Centrum München and I'm Chief Scientific Officer of Metaron Diagnostics. Thank you. And so what is your favorite metabolite at the moment and why? Today I would like to bring to your attention the C4 and C5 acylcarnitines, uh, butyryl and uh, isovaryl carnitines. And this is because how they have emerged in the metabolomic studies worldwide. First, they have been picked as a marker of uh, inborn error of metabolism and are being used in di the diagnosis of isovaryl acetyl-CoA uh, dehydrogenase. However, later on, the levels of these two biomarkers were associated with pre-diagnosis of disease, or bowel disease, uh, for people who are ingesting gluten. And this could be easily used for the differential diagnosis to identify what is the reason for immunological reaction. The second very important part is that these two acylcarnitines do not rather reflect a short chain fatty acids, but they reflect amino acid metabolism, especially that of brain chain amino acids. So brain chain amino acids, BCAA, they are associated with uh, insulin resistance and uh, are hallmarks of transaminase inhibition. That's why if you're seeing changes in the C4 and C5 acylcarnitines, this is not exactly change in the lipid metabolism, but rather in the amino acid metabolism. Thank you, that's really interesting. Thank you. My name is Sofia Mosu and I work at Freie Universiteit in Amsterdam. Thank you. And what is your favorite metabolite and why? My favorite metabolite is nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. And I have been working on this molecule and the health effects of this molecule for the past four years. So this is, a, for me, a quite interesting molecule because when I started working on it, I thought, you know, how can it be that there's still so much research to be done on a very old known redox cofactor? So NAD plus and its reduced form, NADH, are, participate in hundreds of metabolic reactions throughout metabolism involved in glycolysis, TCA cycle, but also on all kinds of other, other biotransformations. Um, in addition to this very known biochemical feature, uh, more recently NAD was found to also have some signaling properties in the way that it is a substrate of proteins like sirtuins and in that way it can, it can have different type of effects in terms of health. So what is interesting is that within metabolic diseases, more and more researchers are, are finding that NAD levels decrease with age, deficient NAD levels are found in diabetes and a chronic kidney disease, for example, or fatty liver disease. 
and that increasing levels of NAD then leads to a better mitochondrial function and better health benefits. So I have been working for the past years on studying different NAD precursors that can boost levels of NAD in animals and then with the idea that this can once be translated in, into humans. Thank you. So you're looking into all the new prospects for NAD research. Thank you very much for sharing. Thank you very much. Hello, my name is Christoph Magnus. I'm the head of the metabolomics group at Johann Ehm Research. Uh, we are located in Graz, Austria, and here we are working is in this field for more than 15 years, I think now. What's your favorite metabolite and why? I thought a little bit about that and I came to an end and say, my favorite metabolites are at the moment free fatty acids. Why? We have several studies where we found interesting patterns, for example, for a diagnosis of pulmonary hypertension. This is a cooperation project we had with the medical university in Graz, Professor Olszewski. And we tested a very small group, only four controls and four matched patients with uropathic arterial hypertension. And we found a very, very specific fatty acid pattern only in this small group. And we were able to validate this in a larger cohort afterwards. And it's very interesting that there are such big differences in a free fatty acid pattern. And we can use that for early diagnosis. Fatty acids can be incorporated in bigger molecules, bigger lipids. Do you see anything on patterns for bigger lipids? Did you look into this? We didn't observe the incorporation now. What we saw is the biomarker works very well if we put this free fatty acids in relation to larger lipids, for example. This is something which works very well. We are performing now mechanistic studies with groups. There are different hypotheses why we have this uh, different free fatty acid patterns. It may be that there is a damage in mitochondria in the heart, but we are now uh, searching for the, the right answer to that. Super, that sounds wonderful. Thank you very much, Christoph, and I wish you a good conference. Thank you very much. My name is Iman Ashkar and I'm conducting the research at Wheel Cornell in Qatar and this is in collaboration with the Technical University in Dresden, Germany. I'm involved in further investigating altered cancer cell metabolism, specifically in lung and breast cancer cells. Thank you. So what is your favorite metabolite and why? I would say my favorite metabolite is glutathione, specifically because it's involved in overcoming oxidative stress in different cancer cells. So my work is predominantly focused on that pathway. And what's interesting is that you can find different types of cancers which have a high antioxidative potential. So the idea is that potentially we could target this and exploit this feature by targeting glutamine metabolism, uh, by introducing different agents, for example, component 968, which could target glutaminase and by default hamper cancer cells' ability to overcome oxidative stress. Interestingly enough, you could also introduce other agents which induce oxidative stress, for example, doxorubicin, and the idea behind that is to accelerate cancer cell death. 
And I guess one question that comes to you often is, is glutathione is found in every cell, so how do you target the cancer cells specifically? That's a very good question. It's been found that cancer cells can depend heavily on glutamine, and because of that you can exploit this feature to selectively target cancer cells over normal cells. Thank you very much. Thank you. My name is Justin van der Hoofd. I'm an assistant professor in computational metabolomics and I work in Wageningen at Wageningen University. Thank you. And so, what is your favorite metabolite and why? So, it's a very hard question and very challenging. I'm almost 15 years active in metabolomics, so I've seen a lot of metabolites. But recently, I'm more, a bit more in, into natural products and then Daptomycin is a really uh, nice example of an early found, really successful antibiotic. It's a lipopeptide, so with its uh, structure of an, um, an, a circular peptide and, a, and an acyl chain, it is a potent uh, way of killing specific bacteria. And it was inspired by nature, so that is also very inspiring for the field. So is it a synthetic molecule or is it a natural product? The original molecule was really isolated as a, as a natural product from, if I'm not incorrect, Stratomyces bacteria. Okay. But uh, another remarkable example is strychnine, not only because it's potent uh, bioactive, right? But if you look at the size of the molecule and the complicated structure, it is an, an example of how incredibly creative nature can be. Mm -hmm. so. Very interesting. So these are two metabolites, then you cheated a bit. I think as a scientist, we should always try to at least a little bit bend the rules. And you know, uh, sometimes you get away with it and sometimes the experiment will fail as a consequence. So let's see what happens. I think this one will work out. Good luck with the conference and thank you very much for your time. My name is Chi and I'm a PhD student from UK Dementia Research Institute at Imperial. Hi, my name is Paris Samwatari and I'm a PhD student from Imperial College. I'm also part of the Dementia Research Institute at Imperial. Great. What is your favorite metabolite and why? Uh, my favorite metabolite is sphingolipids because we are mainly working with Alzheimer's disease and sphingolipids has been change of signal from the public has been heavily implicated in um, Alzheimer's disease and also for the gene that we are looking at which is the Africa 7 gene we also find out like recently there are changes of single lipid metabolism in the mice model mm -hmm. and also in the human cohort we found the association with Lexa ceremonies in particular and then what do you find so interesting about them? So yeah, as my friend said here, the lac ceramides is the lipid of interest because it's a very high association with sugar, both in animal organisms as well as human models with clinical data. Thank you very much. My name is Anna Halama. I'm from Well Cornell Medical College in Qatar and I'm assistant professor there. We are focusing as a research group on cancer and cancer metabolism as a potential predictor of future treatment strategies. Perfect, thank you. And so which one is your favorite metabolite and why? Well, lately my favorite metabolite is glutamine and glutamate as a couple of metabolites, which are my favorite because I believe they might change future treatment of cancer patients. 
or maybe if not even that, they might be used as a tracker system for the responses to the treatment. Okay, so in your research, where have you seen them changing? What, what makes you so confident that these metabolites will be the future of this research? What you observed is cancer cells, some of them, strongly depend on glutamine metabolism. And they are using glutamine as a fuel to further proliferate and to generate energy. So this pathway is kind of crucial. Some of the cells, instead of using glucose, they are switching their metabolite off and they are starting to utilize glutamine. This pathway can be easy blocked and there are already uh, compounds which are in the clinic and they were showing success in blo blocking this pathway where the glutamine is changed to glutamate which is further incorporated into the CA cycle. But cancer cells are very flexible in their metabolism and they are frequently changing this path and they are starting to utilize other molecules which we also find in our study which was particularly fatty acid and they are starting to utilize beta oxidation and energy generated from those molecules. So now the very important question and very important component of the study would be how to block those two pathways in the same way uh, to improve potential treatment strategy for those, for those patients. And there is an option because this was something which we were able to show in our previous study, that indeed, while blocking glutamine metabolism and simultaneously fatty acid catabolism, we were able to accelerate cancer cell death. So this is already certain promise, right? What is more important, we were able to use the drugs which are already in the clinical setting, like for instance, trimatizadine, which is blocking the beta oxidation of fatty acid. And another component which was also useful was chloroquinone. Chloroquinone was blocking the uh, autophagy, which is also upregulated in response to blockage of this glutamine. This is shortcut of why I feel glutamine and glutamate are very important. Wonderful, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Pierre Stefanito. I'm lead scientist at the University of Liège in Belgium, and I'm working mostly between the University for Analytical Chemistry and the Hospital for all the metabolomics application. Thank you. Which one is your favorite metabolite and why? So my favorite metabolite is a really small molecule called nonanal that we see in a lot of our studies. So I mostly study exalbres, so really small volatile using multidimensional GC, and nonanal is the one that I see everywhere. I'm focused on lung inflammation, and if I study asthma, COPD, fibrosis, like, nonanal is there. So we don't know why, we don't know where it's coming from, but that's why it's exciting. It's our friend that we see everywhere, but we don't know where it's coming from, and we just want to learn more about it. Is there anything known about the use of the body from that metabolite, or you think it maybe more comes from the outside? Any clues on this? I think it's a byproduct of lipid peroxidation because since it's an aldehyde, we probably know that the lipids, like through reactive oxygenated species, will produce this type of molecule, but we don't know exactly the pathway. So there is like a lot of suspected pathway, but because it's so small, it can come from basically everywhere. So we have a large field of investigation to try to understand that. And it's related to other type of metabolomics research because they study like big lipids degradation and we are like, oh, they are doing that and nonanal can come from there. So maybe we have to reach out and see if they see nonanal there. And we have our own hypothesis that we are trying to test also. So it's really exciting. 
That sounds really good. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to talk to you. I'm Jennifer Kerwin. I work at the Berlin Institute of Health at the Charité. And what do you do there? I lead the metabolomics technology platform. Thank you. So what is your favorite metabolite and why? Tryptophan. And I'm really interested in tryptophan because it acts as a direct link between nutrition, the gut microbiome, and human health. And how does it do all of that? So we're only really just beginning to understand all the roles that tryptophan and its metabolites have in the body. One of the things that we're increasingly interested in studying is how and in which route tryptophan is metabolized. So tryptophan is a fairly unique amino acid. It is the largest amino acid, and it has an indole ring. And this indole ring is often used for signaling, and, and it has a unique role in proteins. So tryptophan is one of the rarest amino acids in proteins, but where it appears, it's often got a really important signaling um, component. And it's very common, for instance, in membrane proteins, or, or proportionally very common. So that, that's one element of tryptophan, which is, is very interesting. Uh, but we also find that tryptophan is metabolized by the gut bacteria, often to various forms of indoles. Uh, and these indoles can have very positive effects, particularly on the immune system, but they can also have very negative effects. Indole itself, for instance, can be toxic in large amounts, and it's, it's metabolized by the human liver into indole sulfate, which then acts as a kidney toxin. Human cells also metabolize tryptophan, um, and they tend to choose various routes to do this by, but 90% of tryptophan is metabolized via the kynurenine pathway, and kynurenine and its metabolites have really important roles on suppressing the immune system. This is increasingly of importance when we're studying autoimmune or immune-mediated diseases such as multiple sclerosis and rheumatoid arthritis, for example. Uh, but we also find that tryptophan is metabolized into several important neurotransmitters, so 5-hydroxytryptophan or serotonin or melatonin. And interestingly, we find that serotonin, for instance, although we think of this as an important brain neurotransmitter, about 90% of serotonin is actually in the gut. And we think this probably has a fairly important effect on gut motility, I think there's an increasing interest in how the gut and the brain are talking to each other. And we've got lots to discover about this, and we don't yet know the full role of, of tryptophan and its metabolites in this gut-brain axis and how it's impacting on our health. It's a fascinating molecule. It really is. Thank you. So do you think then tryptophan is the source of happiness both for the gut and for the brain, then we're happy because of serotonin, but we also have a happy gut thanks to tryptophan indirectly. Well, there's an interesting question that I've <laughs> never considered. I would say, like anything else, it's probably everything in moderation. And Very good point. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for all this information about tryptophan. There's a lot more, I'm sure, that you could tell about it. So I know that you, you had a, a talk today and you presented some interesting ideas. So what did you discuss today? 
So this is something completely different from tryptophan. Um, I'm a member of the Metabolomics Quality Assurance and Quality Control Consortium, and I was reporting on the results of working group that is interested in reporting standards for QA and QC for untargeted metabolomics. So we think that, the, that to report what you've done is particularly important. It allows transparency of what you've done. It allows your readers or your listeners to really understand the quality of your data and also interpret how robust and likely reproducible your results are. And we think that this is really important. An additional benefit of reporting your QA and QC methods and results are that it allows people who are new to metabolomics to quickly see what other people are doing in the field and start implementing that themselves. And we hope that overall this, this will mean a gradual incremental increase in the robustness and reproducibility of mixed data. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us in this discussion. I hope that this episode gave you new insights and ideas on how to plan, conduct and communicate your own metabolomics projects. If you'd like to continue this journey with us, make sure to register for the Metabolomist email list on the podcast webpage. For regular news on metabolomics and data interpretation, you can connect with me, Alice Limonciel, on LinkedIn, where I post on metabolites, analysis strategies, data processing tools, and more. And make sure to check out our other podcast episodes on the Metabolomist website.